Well, hello, everyone. It's so good to be with you today. My name is Juan Carlos Heredia, and I have the honor of serving as the pastor of the Spanish ministry here at Sugar Creek. I want to welcome our Missouri City campus as well. And if this is your first time with us here, whether you're here in person or you're watching us online, welcome to Sugar Creek. We're in the middle of a series that's called Refocus, where we've been exploring moral issues from the perspective of God. And I want to say that I want to thank God that we have a courageous lead pastor that is willing to tackle a lot of the moral issues that is considered uh, to be controversial in our days today. Because one thing that we need to recognize is that truth, even though it might be controversial, is still true. So today, we're going to explore the moral issue of poverty. Now, when I say that, for some of you, that makes sense. You might say, yeah, poverty, it's about time we talk about this. This is an important thing, and there's so many things that we need to do about it. But for some of you, you're wondering, why did we include poverty among the moral issues in this series? Because it seems like there's more pressing things that we could be talking about. And poverty, it seems like it's more of a financial management type of issue, or maybe even a political issue, but definitely not a moral issue. And so my hope for us today is that we would be willing to take off the lenses, as pa Pastor Mark talked about in the first sermon of this series, the lenses of people living in 21st century America that have been influenced by social media, by entertainment, by our politics, by our financial situation, by our culture, and that we would take a fresh look at this topic and see it from the perspective of God and understand what his heart is about poverty. So the first question that I would need to answer is one that many, maybe of you have, but are not willing to say out loud, and it's this. Why should I care about poverty? Why should I care about poverty? See, some of you, you know, you feel like you've already put in your hard work to have the things that, that you own, right? You went to school, you sacrificed, maybe you had two jobs or more than that, and the things that you have is because of your hard work. So it, always, it would almost seem to be unfair that you would give of your resources to other people that have not been willing to put in the same amount of hard work that you have. But here's the problem with that line of thinking. Indifference to poverty dehumanizes others and ends up dehumanizing us. Indifference to poverty dehumanizes others and ends up dehumanizing us. See, the problem is that it's easy to dehumanize people that we ignore, but the poor, They're just as human as we are. They have faces and names and stories. They have goals and aspirations. They have dreams. They have doubts. They have fears, just like you and I. And they're just as human as every one of us. And even more so, they've been created in the image of God and therefore should be treated with dignity. So we would be careful and try to rob them of that dignity that's been bestowed on them by our creator. And as we go down the path of indifference towards those that are poor, 
We need to be careful of the toll that it's going to take on us as a nation and as individuals as well. That's why Dr. Martin Luther King said such a great truth years ago, warning about this. And he said on one occasion the following, the well-off and the secure have become indifferent and oblivious to the poverty and the deprivation in their midst. The poor have been shut out of our minds and driven from the mainstream of our societies because we have allowed them to become invisible. Ultimately, a great nation is a compassionate nation. No nation can be great if it does not have a concern for the least of these. There's so much truth in this quote. See, what Dr. Martin Luther King was saying is that in order to judge a nation as just or an individual as just, it is measured by the way that they treat the most vulnerable. So when we ignore the poor, we go down a path where we dehumanize not only others around us, but we dehumanize us as well. So we need to be careful to follow that line of thinking. Now, one thing that I want us to do is that I want us to step into the shoes of those that live in poverty. In fact, those that live in extreme poverty. And for that, I want to invite you to do a mind experiment with me. One that is actually suggested by an economist whose name is Robert Heilbrunner. And this mind experiment is so that we can understand how the 684 million people that are currently living in extreme poverty in the world are living at the moment. So, imagine that we're at your house and we go in. Now look at all your furniture that you have. All of that, we need to take away. Your TVs, your couches, your beds, all of that goes. The only thing that you leave behind is a small table and one wooden chair and some old blankets. Now, when it comes to your clothing, forget about Air Jordans or forget about any other things like that. The only thing that you get to keep along with your family is your oldest set of clothes. So if you're a guy, maybe a suit or maybe a shirt and pants. If you're a gal, a dress or maybe a blouse and pants, whatever you choose, but your oldest set of clothes. Now let's move into your kitchen. See all of your appliances? All of that goes. We strip it. And when it comes to food and preparation of food, the only thing that you can keep is a box of matches, a little bit of flour, a little bit of sugar, and salt. And the moldy potatoes that you threw out earlier into the trash, you're going to go need to retrieve that because along with a handful of onions and a small dish of dried beans, that is going to be dinner for tonight. Now, let's move to the bathroom. Now, first thing we need to do is shut off all the water. The other thing that uh, we need to do is we need to tear out all of the electrical wiring. In fact, why do we continue to prolong this? You lose your entire house. Now, you are welcome to move your family to the tool shed. Now, when it comes to government services, well, that's lost as well. There's no more postal service. There's no more firemen. There's no more policemen. Now, there is a 
school that's about three miles down the road, but it only has two classrooms. And by the way, all of your literacy and communication, that's gone as well. Any phones, any tablets, any internet connection, that's gone. Everything that you use for literacy, including books and magazines, that is gone as well. The other thing is, when it comes to doctors and hospitals, well, you can kiss that goodbye as well. Now, there is a clinic that's about 10 miles down the road, and it's um, administered by a midwife. So if you ever have any illness in your family or with you, you'll need to ride your bike 10 miles down the road. That is, provided that you actually have a bike, which is very unlikely. Now, the last thing is your money. If you have a 401k, that's gone. If you have any retirement, that's gone. If you have any money in your savings account or your checking account or your, um, your investments, all of that is gone. Now, the good news is that you're able to keep $5. And that is gonna be passed on to your children, to your grandchildren, and to the generations that come after that. So if that was the situation for you and your family, would you not wanna be treated with dignity? Would you want people to ignore you? Or would you want people to treat you and your family like human beings. But there's another thing. If you're a Christ follower, there's another reason that compels us to want to take care of the poor, to care for the poor. And this is the biggest thing that I can share with you today, the most important thing. If you, if you forget about everything else that I share today, this is the one thing that you have to take with you. And it's this. God takes personally how we treat those in poverty. God takes personally how we treat those in poverty. See, the poor, they're near and dear to God's heart. Throughout scripture, we find that constantly he's talking about caring for those who live in poverty. And so we can find so many parts of scripture where it talks about this. But let me share with you one passage in Proverbs 19:17, where King Solomon, who was considered to be the wisest man of the ancient world, he wrote this. And by the way, a proverb is simply this wise saying, and, and this is what he writes. He says in Proverbs 19:17, kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord and he will give a reward to the lender. Now notice what it says. It doesn't say that kindness to the poor is a loan to the poor, but it says kindness to the poor is a loan directly to God. Why is that? Because God takes personally how we treat those in poverty. And throughout the Old Testament, which is the part of the Bible before Jesus, it, we're, we're filled with scriptures on that. But when Jesus arrives on the scene, what we see is the incarnated love of God in the way that he treated the poor throughout his ministry. And in fact, towards the end of his life, it is registered in one of the biographies that we have about Jesus that we call the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus tells this story or this parable about the end times, about what's gonna happen in the future. And he talks about 
how he as the king will return and that he will separate those that are true believers from those that are fake believers or as he calls it in the parable, the sheep and the goats. And the thing is that the distinctive uh, characteristic between those that are true believers versus those that are fake believers is the way that they treat the most needy. Because followers of Christ will have to reflect the heart of God. So he says it this way in Matthew 25, verses 35 and 36. This is Jesus speaking. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Now when the followers of Christ, believers hear this, they're they're scratching their heads and they're wondering, when did we do this? I don't ever remember seeing Jesus because if I would have seen him, I would have definitely gone out and done this for him. But I, I never saw him in any of these situations. So in order to get clarity, they ask Jesus when exactly this took place. So they say this in verse um, 37. It says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you. See, this is where Jesus answers. And in answering, he answers us as well. And he says this in verse 40. And the king will answer them, truly I say, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now that should be shocking to us because what Jesus is saying is that he echoes what Solomon had written and that is that God takes personally how we treat those in poverty. The poor, they're near and dear to God's heart. That's the reason why we find in the Bible about 2,000 verses that actually deal with the issue of poverty. And the other thing that we should not forget is this. That poverty is a thing now that we, that we want to take care of as a society, as a nation, as a world. And now we have charities and we have foundations and we have nonprofit organizations and government help and we have all of these things. But remember that this was not a thing for most civilizations. Most of them disregarded the poor. They saw the poor as simply rungs on a ladder in order to climb to the top. They saw the poor as a group of people that they needed to be trampled on. Those that were in authority, they saw the poor as simply an opportunity to gain more power and they neglected the poor. And the reality is, most people did exactly the same. It wasn't until God, when he took his people and he formed the nation of Israel and he gave them as one of their founding principles that they were commanded to take care of the poor, that this actually became a thing. And then when Jesus came on the scene, he not only modeled it throughout his life, but he commanded his disciples to do exactly the same. And that's why we find that the early Christians did exactly this of taking care of the poor. 
Because God takes personally how we treat those in poverty. Now the question then that should come to our mind is this, what does the Bible say about poverty, right? How does people actually, how do people actually fall into poverty? What is the reason why this takes place? Is this a self-inflicted wound or what is the cause behind poverty? And like I said, there's about 2,000 verses that talk about poverty in the Bible, so it would be impossible for me to cover all of it in one sermon. So what I wanna do is I wanna cover three broad principles, three broad ideas that kind of serve as an umbrella uh, to cover everything that the Bible says in regards to poverty. The first principle is this. Poverty is ultimately the result of a fallen world. Poverty is ultimately the result of a fallen world. See, God never intended for poverty to be part of the human experience. He never wanted that to be part of creation. Poverty stems from sin when it entered into the world. So poverty is kind of like a virus. And we know about viruses now, don't we? And it, as a virus, it extends through generations and through communities, and it hurts and it destroys people. While it's hard to spread wealth, it's so easy to spread poverty. And so that's the reason as well that Jesus said that we would always have the poor among us because as long as there's sin in the world, there will also be poverty because poverty comes from sin. But the other broad idea that we need to understand about poverty that the Bible talks about is this, that poverty is not necessarily a sign of blessedness or sinfulness. Poverty is not necessarily a sign of blessedness or sinfulness. In other words, When we look at the financial situation of someone, that is really not a good measurement to see if someone is um, spiritual or not. It's not how much we have that determines if someone loves God or not. Because what we find throughout scripture is that both the poor and the rich are close to God, and also we find poor and rich who are far from God. It's not how much we have, but it's actually what we do with our resources that actually makes a difference. And the third principle that we find, this third broad principle throughout all of these verses is this, that poverty is usually attributed to people's actions rather than God's actions. Poverty is usually attributed to people's actions rather than God's actions. So in most cases, it's always from uh, decisions that one makes or other people's decisions. So let me give you four examples of that. One thing that we find, for example, is that poverty may be the result of laziness. So look at what it says in Proverbs chapter six, verses 10 and 11. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. The other thing that it says is that poverty may be the consequence of seeking pleasure. Poverty may, may be the consequence of seeking pleasure, foolish decisions. So it says in Proverbs 21:17, the one who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will not get rich. So when you get home, toss out your wine and your oil 
so you won't fall into poverty. No, so it talks about seeking pleasure. So the third thing that we find here is this, that it may be due to acting foolishly as well. Poverty can result uh, by the actions of foolishness. And so it says in Proverbs 13, 18, the following. Poverty and disgrace come to those who ignore discipline. But the one who accepts correction will be honored. A last thing that we find throughout scripture that describes some of the actions that actually lead to poverty is not so much something that the individual decides, but is the effect of other people. And it's this, that poverty may be caused by others. It may be caused by others. Other people's decisions affect other people to fall into poverty. So Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 13, the prophet Jeremiah says this, woe for the one who builds his palace through unrighteousness his upstairs rooms through injustice, who makes his neighbor serve without pay and will not give him his wages. Now here's the thing. Regardless of the reason why someone finds himself in poverty, our responsibility in the eyes of God is to take care of those who are poor. Our obligation and God's expectation is that we will take care of the poor. And that's why throughout scripture, he would tell the prophets in the Old Testament to fight against the injustice that was done against the poor. One example we, we saw recently in the Daniel series that we just had, how the prophet Daniel, when he's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, when he hears of the impending judgment that's gonna come on the king, he confronts this pagan king and he says to them, uh, king, have mercy on the poor as a way of trying to stop the impending judgment that will come upon you. See, God's expectation is that all of us, believers and non-believers, would take care of the poor. Now let's arrive to the most important question in this message. The question that all of us need to respond. Regardless of whether you come from a wealthy background or your family is okay, or maybe you come from um, a background of, of poverty, regardless of whether you think it's the role of the government to take care of the poor, or it's nonprofits or churches, here's the question that all of us need to tackle, and it's this. What is your responsibility towards the poor? What is your responsibility towards the poor? So James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote a letter in the New Testament and in it, it's nothing less than a punch in the gut. If you've ever read James, you know that after you read it, you feel so convicted of so many things, so many topics that he presents. And two of the topics that he deals with in his letter is the issue of wealth and of poverty. And one of the things that he focuses on is the injustice that the wealthy have over those that are poor. Now, for some of you, you might be checking out and you're saying, Juan Carlos, you, you, you had me up until this point. But if you're talking about the injustice that the wealthy have over the poor, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not wealthy. You know, when we talk about wealthy, we're talking about Elon Musk. 
We're talking about Jeff Bezos. We're, we're, we're talking about Bill Gates. We're talking about Warren Buffett. You know, those guys, those guys are wealthy. The, the things that I have, you know, I, you know, I've worked hard for them and yeah, I have a few things, but no way would I be considered wealthy. But if we're completely honest, we would need to recognize this, that we live in the wealthiest time in human history. And not only that, all of us that are here in this room and many of you that are watching online, one of the things that we need to recognize is that not only are we among the wealthiest on this planet, but we are among the wealthiest in human history. And because of that, God is calling us to use our wealth as a way of blessing those that are in need. So James presents his first principle, and he says this, loving God will always lead to caring for those in need. Loving God will always lead to caring for those in need. Listen to the way that he says it in James chapter one. And he says in verse 27, the following, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, this is a very convicting passage because James is taking to task those that believe that their righteousness or their closeness to God is based on other things other than helping those that are in need. See, I would have loved for James to have written here that um, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is to study theology or to be a regular attender at church or to memorize verses of the Bible. And even though all of those things are good, what we can't neglect is also helping those who are in poverty, those who are poor. And so, God has called us to express the true Christian religion in a way that helps those who are in need. We cannot say that we truly love God if we're not showing it in the way that we care for those that are in need. Years ago, when my wife and I, we were newlyweds, we had just arrived here in Texas. And we met this couple whose name was a Frank and Marie from Louisiana. And Frank was kind of a character because he used to use always clothing that had like these loud colors. You could always tell who he was, even in a crowd. And forgive me, but I just thought that was a Louisiana thing back then, you know? And um, so Frank and Marie, they were, they were a great couple. And on one occasion, they, in, they invited us over to have uh, dinner at their house. And when we got there, it was a small, old, really unimpressive house, but we had a great time with them. And on another, another occasion, they actually invited us to go out to eat and they told us, you know, order anything you want on the menu. And I realized later that they had actually split their meal. Now, why do I tell you the story of Frank and Marie? Because it turns out, as I found out later, that the reason why they acted this way is because they believed in prioritizing their resources for glorifying God and for helping others in need. 
See, Frank would only buy clothes, used clothes, from secondhand stores. They would only buy the minimum things that they needed at home, and they chose to rather splurge on other people and people in need rather than on themselves. They understood that their resources were there to be able to bless others. They understood what the true Christian religion is all about. Now, James, he gives us a second principle, and it's this. Generosity should be a staple of your Christianity. Generosity should be a staple of your Christianity. Listen to the way that he, that he writes this in James chapter 2, verses 15, uh, in James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. He says this, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the, what the body needs, what good is it? So James is dealing with opportunities that all of us have to be able to bless the poor, to be able to take care of the poor. Now, James is not saying that wealth is evil. Wealth is really an opportunity to serve others. So it's the decision that we make that what God has given us, rather than simply looking to accumulate always for us as our society constantly is pushing us towards, that when we have wealth, we also see it as an opportunity to bless other people. See, if our focus is simply to accumulate, the problem is that we ultimately end up being self-centered. But if we truly love God, then that leads us to being others-centered, where when we see a need, we're willing to take care of that need. Now, this has always been the case about the church. Even the early Christians, they understood how much this was important for God and how they needed to carry this out in the early church. And so we find that they were the first ones that started taking care of orphans and they started taking care of widows. It wasn't before them that this actually became a thing. The early Christians, they would buy enslaved people in order to give them freedom. They would take care of the hungry. They would minister to the dying. They would provide for those that had a need and they would not expect anything in return. All of this actually baffled the society that they lived in, the Roman Empire, because they couldn't figure out why these people would take care of not only their poor, but the poor that were not Christians, that were outside of the church. And this caused a huge drawing from people that saw Christians completely different than the rest of society. And one of the people that complained was actually the Roman emperor of that time, whose name was Julian the Apostate. That was his nickname. And Julian the Apostate, he wanted to repaganize the Roman Empire after Christianity had been legalized. And so many people were now in an influx towards Christianity because of what they saw in the lives of Christians. And so on one occasion, he complained and he wrote this, something really interesting. He said, these impious Galileans, referring to Christians, feed not only their own poor, 
but ours as well. See, the Christians, they were taking care of those in need. And they were taking from their own financial resources in order to serve the poor and the needy without expecting anything in return. The church has always been at the forefront of doing this. The church is always there to serve the poor. And even in our own history as a church, history of Sugar Creek Baptist Church, as we look at our past, we've never been able to sit idly by when we see the needs in our community and see the needs in our world. That's why years ago, a group of people in our congregation, they started what would eventually be, become Second Mile Mission Center, who exists now in order to provide the basic needs of people in poverty in the Fort Bend community, and as a result, has served thousands and thousands of people over the years. It is a reason why people in our congregation also started a ministry that, is, that was called Urban Camp to take kids from the inner city, from impoverished backgrounds, from toxic homes, and take them on an experience in the woods, in a, beautiful, um, in a beautiful place, in order for them to be able to experience the love of God and be transformed by him. It's the reason why people in our congregation as well started what we know now as Living Water International, with the idea of providing clean drinking water in other parts of the world, and using that as an opportunity to tell them about the living water that only Jesus can provide for them. It's the reason why Hilltop of Hope was started as well, to help uh, sex, uh, sex workers from India and Nepal and to allow them to experience Jesus, and by experiencing Jesus, they would leave that destructive lifestyle behind, and they could also provide for themselves and for their families. And it's also the reason why people in our church started Hope Justice Center, which provides legal services for those that can't afford it by providing them with caring lawyers and volunteers without any payment required. See, generosity should always be a staple of our Christianity. And my question would be for you, where can you be more generous today? The last principle, and then I'll be finished, is this. James gives us a third principle when it comes to our responsibility towards those who are poor. And he says this, Partiality towards a few is a sin, but dignity for all is a duty. Partiality towards a few is a sin, but dignity for all is a duty. Listen to the way that he says it in James chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil 
Thoughts? See, the sin of favoritism abounded in many of the early churches. And it's something that continues to abound in many churches today. The idea of putting value on a person based on their finances. Whether they're wealthy, they have more value. Whether they're poor, they have less value. But this is a sin against God. In the end, what we're called to do is treat all people with dignity. And let me say one more thing about dignity and then I'll be finished. When it comes to dignity, dignity is not simply giving a handout to someone. Now the Bible is clear that when someone has an immediate emergency need, we are required as followers of Christ to help take care of that need. But once that's been taken care of, the idea is not to prolong simply handouts because that would create, in the end, dependency. What we wanna do is help people so that they could fend for themselves, provide them with opportunities of work, maybe in a company, maybe if we have work around the house that we can give them for them to labor. Because in the end, when people work, that's part of the process of, this, of recovering their personal dignity. And in the end, what we wanna do is treat every person with that dignity. Whether you decide to do something about the poor or whether you decide to ignore or neglect them, in the end, what we mustn't forget is this, that God takes personally how we treat those in poverty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have bestowed so many blessings upon us. There's so many things that we should be grateful for what you've given us. But you've also given us resources to bless others, to help others. And, and we ask that as a church and as individuals, that we would continue to honor you as our love for you, that those that are in need around us, in our neighborhoods, in this community, around the world, that we would continue to pool our resources so that we can glorify you and love on our neighbors, that we can take care of the least of these. And all of this, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.